Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So today I'm carrying on the series that began a few weeks ago called Understanding Our Times, Developing a Biblical Worldview. And I've been telling you what a biblical worldview was. A worldview, first of all, is the lens in which you view the world. And everybody has one. The biblical worldview is when we see things through God's perspective and the perspective of Scripture. Probably this morning I have to confess some problems we're having in my marriage. Kathy and I are struggling in some stuff, and maybe some of you can help us with this. We both kind of have control issues. Kathy likes to control the money, so I let her. I don't really care. And I want to control the TV remote. And, uh, and for some reason, it hasn't been a fair trade, and I haven't been given free reign of the remote control, and I, and I don't know why. And Kathy, you know, she's one of these people that likes to watch television where you sit down, you watch a whole show from the beginning to the end. Any of you do that? She'll watch a whole Hallmark movie. I'm not kidding. Whole Hallmark movie. Who does that? And, uh, and, and anyway, I don't like to do that. I like to, I don't want to know what's on. I want to know what else is on. And uh, I like to scroll through the remote and, I, you know, I, I can easily watch 10 or 12 different things in half an hour. And so Kathy doesn't really like to watch television that way. I'm not sure why. And uh, so there's one thing that she hates even less than that, and that's when I go multi-screen. How many of you know what multi-screen is? You have it. If you have a new TV, you have it, and it is awesome. And uh, you can divide the screen. You can watch two channels at the same time, or four, or eight. I mean, you can just keep on adding them. Now, by the time you're at four, the screens are too small, so I don't really love it. But two is almost perfect, because I can watch two different shows at exactly the same time. This is an efficient use of my time. Now, if, if you've never seen it, this is a picture of my actual television. I took this yesterday, and, uh, and uh, so I got it on the multi-screen. I'm, I'm watching, uh, well, Fox News and CNN. I actually don't watch them. This is for illustration purposes, because they're not, they're not news channels. They're political commentary. Don't mistake them for news. But it was interesting, because yesterday they were, they were covering exactly the same story at exactly the same time. They were using exactly the same pictures. And yet you would think they were talking about two different things. They are so diametrically opposed. They, but they do like to talk about Trump. They do talk. And one, one side adores them, and the other side is contempt, uh, contemptible towards them. Uh, and the reason it's so diverse is this is that they are in parallel universes. They exist somewhere else in some planetary distance. I mean, we have one channel that comes from the lunar left, and the other one comes from the redshift right, and Alpha Centauri is nowhere to be found. That's a cosmic joke if you didn't get it. And uh, my, my whole point is this, is that as is a bit of the world in which we live in, we live in this bifurcated world. There is the physical world, and there is the spiritual world. And a lot of times we don't realize there's another world out there. We forget about the spiritual side is the one we typically forget about. And Paul said it this way, uh, Ephesians 6, you all know it. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So he says, 
There's the one side, the flesh and blood, the human side, the physical side, and there's the other side, the spiritual side. And he says, we've got to stop wrestling. He says, we don't wrestle, but we actually do. He says, you've got to stop wrestling in the flesh and blood side and realize that your real battle is on the other side. It's on the spiritual side. And there's some dark things happening on that side that need your attention. And one of the reasons we live in this constant state of conflict and war and defeat is because we're fighting the wrong battle. And we go through life thinking, for example, that the government is our problem or our boss is our problem. I know what that's what our staff here thinks. I'm not sure why. Or we think our neighbor is our problem or our spouse is our problem or our mother-in-law is our problem. What's the deal with mother-in-laws? Why do they get such a bad rap in life? I don't understand it. They're wonderful people. So I got this story I love to tell. You've probably heard it before. So this husband and wife family, are they're going camping, but the mom wants to bring her mother, the mother-in-law. So he says, okay, we'll bring her, but she's staying in her own tent. She's not staying in the same tent with us. So they go off to the campsite, and they're setting up. It's the middle of the night. The fire is still smoldering a little bit. And they hear this ruckus outside, an absolute ruckus. They know something's going on. They open the zipper of the tent, and they look out, and there is a grizzly bear on its hind legs with its, its fangs out and its claws out and up like this and right standing across from it, the mother-in-law with a stainless steel frying pan in her hand like this. She turns to her husband and says, Honey, do something. He says, Look, the bear got himself into this mess. The bear can get himself out. <laughs> oh, that's way funnier than you're giving me credit for. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. We have this spiritual world. We have this physical world. We all recognize that. We have this spiritual world that we struggle with. And you've heard me teach on this many times. So I'm going to give you the crash course on the spiritual world, just so you know. I mentioned last week that there may have been a pre-Adamic race that existed before Adam. And even if there wasn't some humanoid type race, here's what we do know. That there was an angelic race that pre-existed man. We know that for a fact. Angels and demons were here when we got here. Before Adam was made, they were already here. And we know that in the spiritual realm, there are all these angels and demons. And we know the story about where they came from. Because here's what the the, the scripture tells us. We know they're a created order of being. They're not eternal. God created them. They're almost, they're like superhuman in a sense. They're highly intelligent, highly mobile. They can seem to move at the speed of light or the speed of thought. Who knows? And uh, they're this, these creatures that can seem to access heaven and seem to access earth. They live in, in the spiritual realm, as it were. And there's only three of them named in Scripture. And they are Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And we know what happened because it's in, in Revelation chapter 12. It says that there was a war in heaven. And what had happened was Lucifer... And when you look at him, you can read about him in Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28... And he was an extraordinary being, almost perfect. The scripture describes him as this amazing creation that God made. So much so that it said that he was lifted up in his heart and he said, I will ascend my throne above the throne of God. So in other words, he looked at God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of him, and he said... I think I can take him. That's what, that's what he, I mean, who thinks that? But anyway, he thinks that. And so it says that, that Lucifer and his angels fought in this rebellion, and Michael and his angels fought 
against him. You say, where was Gabriel? Him and his angels were on winter break. So they were off. So they were busy. So I, I kind of look at this and I think, I think each one of these archangels, this is my best guess, is they probably oversaw a third of the angels each. And so here we have Michael and his angels fighting against Lucifer and his angels. And they cast him down from heaven, down to where? Who knows? It says down to the earth, meaning this. They had access before to the earth probably, but they no longer had access to heaven. And when Lucifer got cast down, he became Satan. And the scripture says his tail drew a third of the stars. So a third of the angels fell with them, and those angels became demons, which tells us how many angels are still on our side. Two-thirds. You're excellent at math. I love that. And so we, we kind of need to remember that, that that's what's going on. So don't miss this picture. God creates man, and he puts him on earth. He is not put into a vacuum. He is put into this world where two realms exist. The spiritual realm and the physical realm. And they are standing between good and evil. That's why the tree in the midst of the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God put us in the midst of both good and evil for a purpose. Don't have time to get into it, but that is the reality of it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the scripture here, and we're going to look at how we're supposed to respond to this. Because I put a quote up on the screen this morning, I hope you saw it, and it said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And that's exactly what the scripture tells us. Here we are. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he begins by saying this. He says, the outward man and the inward man. He says, the outward man is perishing. The inward man is renewing day by day. And so what he's doing, he's comparing the fact that you have an outward man, a physical man, or a physical person, and you also have the inner man, which is the spiritual person. The outward person, the physical one, is perishing. How many of you know that's true? How many are busy doing that right now? As, as we speak, this, this body, this physical body that we have right now is wearing out and it'll be older by the time this service ends than it was when we began. You know, when I started in the ministry, I had a few wrinkles and then they became creases and now they're crevasses. Look at the size of these suckers. And I have people come and say, Pastor Mark, you really should put a little makeup on before you go up on stage. Makeup? I need auto body filler. Makeup's not going to... <laughs> makeup's not going to fill these holes. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to worry about it because the scripture says that the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And then he goes on and he says this, and I love it. He says, and our light affliction, which is but for a moment. What's he referring to? What? He's referring to life. He calls life. This thing you're living right now, he calls it a light affliction, which is but for a moment. 
He says, it's a bit, of, it's a bit hard. There's a bit of difficult moments in it. But don't worry about it. Because it's just for a moment. And we always think of, of, of life as, as, as long or maybe not long enough. And when someone li- lives really long, we go, wow, they lived so long on the earth. You know, last week I did a funeral for Ernie, who produces our television show, his mother. Mrs. Nathaniel died. Are you ready for this? Just shy of her 101st birthday. That's, that's, the old, that's the oldest funeral I've done. The second oldest was Kathy's dad uh, at, at just uh, around 100, just under 100. So do I hear 102 anywhere is what, 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 I'm, what I'm asking. And I mean, we look, here's what happened. Everybody kept on talking about, about how old she was. 101. Who lives 101? That's such a long, long time. You know what the scripture says? This light affliction, which is but for a moment. That was just a moment. And I know we don't think in these terms. We, we, we think when someone dies at 31, we're, we think they died prematurely and it's such a tragic thing. And it is. Don't misunderstand me. But whether it's 31, 51, 71, or 101, it's still just a moment. It's still just a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. Like the song says, Amazing Grace, the very last verse, it says, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. This life is but a moment, people. And see, the disciples they all understood that. That's why they didn't worry for their, their life. That's why they didn't hold on to it and cling on to it so dearly. And if they went down as a martyr and if they lost their life for their faith, they didn't care because they knew where they were going. And they knew they were here for a hard time, not a long time. Right? This light affliction, which is but for a moment. And so then he goes on and he says this. He says, therefore... This is what we do because this life is really just setting up a far greater eternal way to glory. And he says, therefore, here's what we do. We do not look at the things which are seen for they are temporary, but we look at the things which are unseen. Do we do that? We all do that, right? No. You're not doing this. Nobody's doing this. I look around me. People are so fixated, so preoccupied, so obsessed with this world and the things in this world, we scarcely think about the things which are unseen. Let's be honest about it. We're not, we're not looking at the things which are unseen. We can't get our eyes off the things that are seen. And we grip and we grasp and we, we clamor for the, the things in this world. And we seem to forget that the real world exists beyond this world. So I want to tell you a little story from Scripture. Most of you know it. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. And so we have Israel at war with Syria. Israel at war, something new and different. Uh, They have always been at war, all the way through Scripture, all the way through history. I'm sorry for them, but it's kind of the deal. And here's what's going on in this particular battle. There's a prophet in Israel named Elisha. And Elisha is hearing from the Spirit of God where the Syrian ambushes are going to be. And he's telling the king of Israel, and they're avoiding these ambushes. And the king of Syria is frustrated, and he gathers his men together, and he says, which one of you is for the king of Israel? And they said, Master, it's none of us. We're not, we're not spies. The prophet Elisha tells the king of Israel the things you say in your bedroom. That's what's happening here. And he says, Elisha, where is he? Tell me where he is. Find him. So they come back and he say, he is in Dothan. And so he gathered his army, a huge multitude. Doesn't tell us the exact number. A huge multitude went after them. 
And Elisha and his servant, they were sleeping. It seems to me like they were sleeping outside, did a lot of that stuff, a lot of camping going on in Scripture. And they're, they're sleeping, and this huge army surrounds them. Now the servant, Elisha's servant, is first to wake up. And he wakes up and he looks out and he see, sees armies and he sees horses and he sees chariots. And he wakes up the master and he says, Alas, master, what shall we do? And I can imagine Elisha just sort of rolled over on his pillow and said, Do not be afraid, for there are more on our side than with them. And he rolls over. And so, so now, now the servant has to figure this out. So he thinks, well, maybe I should do a head count here. Maybe I'm not seeing this right. And so he starts doing a head count. 14,621, 14,622, 14,624. And then he turns and says, now I'll count our side. One. Two. I demand a recount. That's what Trump would do, right? <laughs> demand, demand, demand a recount. I don't, think he, I don't think he demanded a recount. I think he went, I think we're on the losing side. What do you mean there are more with us than with them? And so then Elisha prays for him. And he prays that the Lord would open his eyes. And the Lord opened up the servants' of, uh, the eyes. And he saw throughout all the hills surrounding them horses and chariots of fire that outnumbered the Syrian armies. And then Elisha prayed again. And he prayed that God would smite all of these soldiers with blindness, which he did. So now you have, we don't know the number, but this huge multitude of soldiers, all blind, so Elisha says, here, I'll lead you out of this mess. And he leads them all. And you'll, if you remember the story, he leads them into this, the city of Samaria. And Samaria was where the king of Israel lived. And when he got there, he prayed again and God opened their eyes. And there's this whole army standing right in the city center of Samaria, surrounded by the Jews. And the king says to Elisha, it's my favorite part of the story. The king says to Elisha, should we kill him? And uh, Elisha says, no, let's feed them and send them home. And the king goes, what? He says, let's, let's feed them and send them home. Well, let's throw a banquet. So they threw a banquet for their enemy. And they fed these men. And after they had fed the men, and after they had been thir- their thirst been quenched, he sent them off. And this is what it says. And the Syrian raiders never invaded Israel again. Don't miss what's going on in this story. I mean, we, first of all, he, he had to see what could not be seen. And what could be seen was the angels and the Spirit of God was on their side. And then instead of killing off all of these people, why didn't he kill them? He understood that these men were not his real enemy. You got that? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Let me show you a scripture. Here's what, what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8. He says, vengeance is mine. This is the Lord speaking. And he says, vengeance is mine. It's not your job to extract vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Is that not exactly what Elijah did? Is that not how he dealt with this situation? Vengeance is mine. That, that recompense is something that comes from God, not from us. And the more I think about this story, 
about how his eyes were open, they saw what was really at stake, and how they dealt with it in a much more spiritual way than killing off all these soldiers. The more I think about that, the more I think about what's going on in the Middle East with Gaza and with this war and, and, and this dreadful, murderous thing that is going on. And so how do we look at it? I'm going to take a moment. How do we look at it from a biblical worldview? And I think we do need to understand this, that the, 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 the provocateur in this situation definitely is Hamas. There, there's no doubt about that. And I think that on one level, they are the personification of evil when you are you know, raping and murdering women and killing children and taking elderly and children as hostages. I mean, it's, it's, it's dreadful. It's unthinkable what's happening. And then if you know something, the name is sort of interesting. Their name is Hamas. And if you think back to the book of Esther, what was the villain's name in the book of Esther? Anybody remember? It was Haman. His name was Haman. And what was his goal? Does anyone remember? His specified goal was to kill all the Jews, all of them. That was his goal. And then we, we, we go back into this. We have this name that almost sounds the same, Hamas, Haman, and the same goal to kill and extract. And remember what happened to Haman? He actually ended up hanging on his own gallows. The whole situation reversed in that story. And so if we look at the leaders of Hamas, because that's, I think, who we need to focus on for a moment, these are dreadful men. There are, there are three leaders of Hamas that don't even live in Gaza. They're actually worth collectively $11 billion, money they have stolen from the Gazans that they indirectly got from countries like ours that give and support these countries. And they live in mansions in countries like Qatar and places like that. They don't even live in Gaza. And they've actually said what their goal is. And you can go look it up. And they've said this. Because people say, why would why, they do this? Why did they do this attack on October 7th? It, make, it makes no sense. Look what they provoked. And they actually have said what their goal is. They said, our goal is to keep Israel in a permanent state of war so that its neighbors will attack it and crush it and destroy it and eliminate it from all of history. That is the specified goal. Everything we're watching. And it's important for us from a biblical perspective to understand, why is this thing happening? So I think that helps a little bit. But the bigger question is what happens. See, here, if we think in terms of flesh and blood, all it does is make you mad. The situation on both sides probably makes, it makes people mad. And what the, the enemy has done is he has used this to stir a visceral and human reaction in us. And we look within our own country at the division and the hatred and the violence and the anti-Semitism that's happening in our own country. And we've got to go, wait a minute, are we really going to fall pray to this? Are we going to really fall into this trap and start picking sides and start attacking other people? Or are we going to open up our eyes and see who the real enemy is and understand that the, the, the Satan and his minions are at work in the world and begin to pray, God, give us a supernatural remedy to this situation. Because that, at the end of the day, is the only thing that's going to really end this. God needs to intervene and we need to pray that way. Let me go back to what Paul said. He said, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. And you know, like I said, we struggle with that. I mean, for the most part, we're fixated on the things of this world. And when we do have people that only think about spiritual things, we criticize them. They look like, you, you know these people, we, they look like super spiritual people. They're always talking about spiritual things. They over-spiritualize everything. You know, the ones where you say to them, they're, they're, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. How many of you have ever heard that expression? How many of you have ever had that expression used on you? Well, that defines where you fit into this situation here. 
And uh, you, you know the type. Devin, why are you late for work? I'll tell you why. Satan has withheld me this 21 days. But Michael and his angels came and fought on my behalf. And I finally made it here reporting for work. Well, good, because you're fired. Devin, when are you going to pay your rent? Oh, don't worry. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And I have laid up treasures in heaven. Well, that's nice. But I only take Canadian dollars and I need 800 of them by tomorrow. You all know these people. You think, what? what is the deal with these? It's, it's like this story. There's this Bible school student, and he's dating this girl. He wants to marry her. And so her father is a very wealthy businessman, and they're over for dinner, and he wants to ask for her hand in, in marriage. And so off he goes to the study with this wealthy businessman. He asks him three quick questions. And he says, he says first of all, uh, do you have a job? He says, no, but God will provide. He says, well, let me ask the second question. What are your plans for the future? He says, I don't know, but God will make a way. And he says, well, what are you going to do for money then? He says, I don't know, but God will supply all of my needs. And so then after they went home, the, the girl and the boy left, and the, the mother came and said, so how did it go? He said, not well. He's got no job, no plans, no money, and he thinks I'm God. <laughs> By the way, that is a true story, and that was me when I was. <laughs> it's actually not far from the truth. It's so close, you would not believe it. Anyway, here, here, here's my point. We, we have these people that are kind of super spiritual in life, and we kind of look down our nose and think they're kind of nutty. And I, I don't want this to sound wrong. But Jesus was one of those super spiritual people. Have you noticed? I mean, he was always talking in this spiritual language. He was confusing people left, right, and center. In fact, one of the things he did was he talked in parables all the time. He didn't even answer questions. He told parables. And even his disciples. I mean, how many people understood what he was talking about? Nobody. They didn't know what he was talking about, including the disciples. And they came and go, we don't get it. Why do you keep talking in parables? And he says, well, you know, it's a mystery for those that need to know. They said, we still don't get it. And, 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 then, and then he, you know, he would use this, this, this illustration all the time. Uh, he talked more about the kingdom of heaven than any other thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he was always describing the kingdom for where he's from. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he's describing this kingdom of God and this kingdom from heaven all the way through. Super spiritual sort of thing. But here's where I want to land with this. What he did, how did he solve this world's problems? I want you to think about that for a moment. There was a lot of problems, a lot of division. There was conflict then. In fact, Israel was under occupation by the Romans even then. How did he solve the problems of the world? I'm telling you, he used spiritual resources to solve human problems. Give you, give you a few examples on this. There's, there's many. There's dozens. So, but let's use an extreme one. The madman of Gadara. Remember this dude? He lived over in the Gadarenes. He lived in the mountains. He was naked, ran around in the mountains, screaming at night, cutting himself with rocks. They tried to chain him. They couldn't chain him. He was a just complete, absolute lunatic wild man. If that man existed today, we would have some psychiatric diagnosis of, you know, bipolar, paranoid, schizophrenic, disassociative disorder, etc. And he would probably spend his entire life in a psych ward and would probably never, ever, ever get well. It's probably true, right? Now, we have Jesus. He goes and seeks this complete madman out. 
And he enters into the conversation with him and he finds out his real problem is not psychological. It's not neurological. What is it? It's spiritual because he is full of demons. And actually he says, my name is Legion for there are many of us. So a Legion was 4,500. I don't know if he had 4,500 demons, but the man was full of demons. That was the problem. Jesus cast the demons, plural, out of him and into the pigs and off they ran into the sea And then in the next line, it says, And the man was sitting, clothed and in his right mind. Just like that, Jesus solved that problem because his eyes were open to what the real problem was. He wasn't looking at the seen. He was looking at the unseen. And Jesus went around solving problems by addressing the unseen problem behind the seen problem. Are you following this? Mary Magdalene. Now, we have this assumption, it may or may not be true, that she was a prostitute. We know one thing, that she was of wanton sexuality and promiscuous, and that that part is true. And she got free from all of her past. Who remembers how? She, Jesus cast demons out of her. How many were there? Anybody remember? It says Mary Magdalene was the one that Jesus cast seven demons out of this woman. And she became Jesus' most devout follower She was there at the crucifixion. She was there at the resurrection. The rest of them were running and hiding. And she didn't care because whom much has been forgiven, they they love much. And she had been transformed by the power of God. And she became this devout follower of Jesus. And then you just start to go through and you realize in situations where someone was mute, he casts out a spirit. Blind, casts out a spirit. Epileptic, casts out a spirit. Not every time, but many times the root of this thing was spiritual. It wasn't physical at all. And then Peter explains this in the book of Acts. It's Acts 10.38. And he said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Peter says that the problem that people had, those ailments that people were suffering from, were oppression of the devil. And John, he tells us in, in his epistle, he, he says, this is the reason Jesus came. He said, for this reason, the Son of Man was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. That is why he came. So we begin to understand that the problems in our world are related to this spiritual world and the spiritual darkness and the fact that we are not grappling with the right enemies, right? And so we look at some of the things that are going on today. Let, 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 I don't know how many of you have ever had this occasion to do this, and I hope it's not someone in your family, but if you've ever looked into the eyes of a meth addict, you realize that this is not just the drugs. They have entered through a gateway into a spiritual, very dark spiritual world, and they don't care about eating, and they don't care about their health, and they don't care about their skin, and they don't care about their teeth, and they don't care about life as it were, and they only care about their next fix, and I look at that as one of the most tragic things, and I know I mean, there are, we have got people off of meth, but I know it's a spiritual thing. I look at the sexuality, the sexual promiscuity in our world today amongst both heterosexuals and homosexuals, and I look at that and I think, I don't think this is a natural phenomenon. I think there is something spiritual that has caused us to be so sexually obsessed. It's all we talk about in our culture. I don't think for a moment this is normal or natural. I look at what the young people are struggling with, with this gender confusion, Let me remind you that God is not the author of confusion and that God doesn't create people with this level of confusion. And I I don't think for a minute it's a human phenomenon. I do not think that. 
Yes, it is cultural. Yes, it is political. But I think at the root of it is a spiritual problem. I think there is something that has happened in our culture spiritually that has overrided us. I think, I think of the medical community. I'm thinking, what is wrong with these people? I mean, what, what is with this biological denialism where they, they know that they know that they know from their studies that there are only two genders genetically and biologically why are they buying into this? Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes, that's why. And we need to have our eyes open up. And don't think for a minute, let me, let me make another comment on this. Don't think for a minute I'm criticizing these young people. I'm not judging them. I'm not blaming them. My heart aches and breaks for these people because I think these young people are victims of something really broken in our world today. And I think they are, are being fed a, a bill of goods that is affecting them emotionally mentally and physically and some irrevocably uh, and, and to me that's such a tragedy and I think we need to find the answers and we say God we need you to come into our world and open the eyes so that we could see your truth and your answers so I want to just end with one final story here to kind of sum this all up so when I was first a new Christian it was in my early 20s I was pretty excited about things. I got this opportunity to go and do prison ministry at Stony Mountain Penitentiary. Now, that was a great experience for a young, white, middle-class kid from Fort Gary. I got a real education there, <laughs> meeting, hanging out with people who were murderers and rapists and gangsters. But I'm telling you, I learned so much during that time. I used to go every Saturday morning, and I would go in, in, into this place and meet with these guys and see God uh, set people free from some, some serious things. So I want to I tell you one story about Ted. I'll never forget the day I met Ted. And, and uh, so, sometimes these guys will talk very freely and openly about why they're there. And he told me right away that he was serving a life sentence for murder. He committed a murder in Saskatchewan. And he was guilty, and he was serving that sentence out. And then what happened is he, he, he found Christ in prison, which is exciting. But this was a story he told me. He said that just after he got saved... God opened his eyes in a unique way. He didn't, he didn't actually know what was going on. And he would walk along the cell block of the range, and every person, every, every fellow inmate that he saw, he didn't see them as to who they were. He saw them for the spirit that motivated them behind. And he actually could see into the spiritual realm. And so he saw the spirit of murder, and he saw the spirit of rape, and he saw the spirit of greed, and he saw the spirit of anger, and the spirit of hatred, and, and so forth. And this went on for three days. And finally, he begged God. He said, God, take, take it away. Take it away. And God took it away, and it never happened again. And I said to him, I said, Ted, why, why do you think God did that? And he says, I think the Lord was trying to scare the devil out of me. And guess what? It worked. <laughs> he says it worked. I am never going back to that world. And I know that that world I lived in was a dark and demonic world. And I have been set free from that. And I thought that was so fascinating to me that he could see into the spiritual. Now, I think he was in a better environment. Those spirits might have looked better, by the way. <laughs> I think he was in a place where they were pretty dark. But here's what happened to Ted. Even though he was serving a life sentence for murder... He was a great, uh, a great inmate, great prisoner, and they let him out early. And he, and he got out. And you know what one of the first things he did? Was he came to church here, sat right there, and came to see me. And it was so exciting. I remember I hadn't seen him for years, but I immediately recognized him. And I went and embraced this man, and he was free, and he, and he had stayed free of all this stuff and all this garbage in his past. Now, sadly, he had some serious health problems, and he passed away a few years ago. But I thought, you know what? That's the God I serve. 
That's the God I serve. The God that can set anybody free from anything because he's bigger than anything else. And there are more with us than against us. And I pray for you that God will open your eyes because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And if God be for you, who can be against? Let's stand together, shall we? All right, let's take a moment. Uh, Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know that was a a lot for somebody that would be a visitor today or maybe new in the church. But I think it probably made sense to you because you know there's more to this world than meets the eye. And if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And I'm not saying, I'm not asking if you've been to church or baptized as an infant. Have you made Jesus your Lord? Have you invited him into your life? Have you said yes to the work of the cross? And if you haven't done that, uh, everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to call you forward or anything like that. But right where you are, just between you and me and Jesus, if you'd like to make Jesus your Lord today and get on track with him, I want you to just slip up your hand. Just slip it up so I can see it. I'm just going to look around the room. Thank you in the front and the side. Anybody else want to join these folks? Thank you in the far side. All right, at the back. Anybody else? Take a moment. Nobody's looking around. It's between you, me, and Jesus. Not going to call you forward. All right, fantastic. You can all put your hands down. I don't know if I saw everybody's hand, but, but Jesus did. So we're all going to pray together. But if you raised your hand, please say this prayer with us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. That you came and died for me and broke the power of sin and darkness and sickness and demonic activity and you set me free and you rose again on the third day and you forever live to be my Lord and Father I ask you to open my eyes give me a biblical worldview help me to see the world for what it really is so that I could discover the answer in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Jesus a shout today. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.